excited to tell you about what you're about to listen to. So for those of you that may not know, um, I am a co-host on two other podcasts. One of them is called Moving the Rock with my friend and partner, Jimmy Roris. And what we're doing in that uh, or that show is walking through content that he's developed that completely maps onto the stuck model, the seasons model, the site shift model. Uh, and it's such a beautiful connection to marriage. So anyway, we're walking through that content, his wins model, and the audience for this show are sales, sales leaders, sales professionals. Um, and I had, we had recorded a special episode where I talked through uh, what it meant to be uh, legendary in your impact uh, regarding sales. Now, most of the episodes, if you go check out the show, are all about uh, the model that we're walking through. This specific episode, we were just walking through this one approach. So if you want to find more of the episodes, you got to check it out. You're going to get leadership and guidance. Uh, for those of you that are interested in learning a model, that is how to walk people through change. So it's not just about sales. What we're doing in these podcasts is specifically about sales. But all that to say, you can go to movingtherock.podbean.com, find more of the episodes, or just search Moving the Rock on any of your favorite podcast providers. So enjoy this episode on what it means to be legendary. Peace. Welcome to Moving the Rock. Whether sales is all you do or only part of what you do, the strategies and tactics of success can often feel split between two realities. You can become someone you're not to earn the recognition and praise of people you don't respect, or you can try to figure it out on your own, knowing you'll underperform your potential. We're here to offer a third way. The idea that you can't have success without compromise is just wrong. You don't have to compromise to win in the long term. You can play the game in such a way that you win in the short term and the long term. Through our hard lessons learned, we can shift your way of thinking and create a better way. I'm Chris, founder of SightShift. And I'm James, founder of Florist Group. If you're tired of the status quo, we're here to help you move the rock on your career, your business, and your life. Welcome. I want to pick Chris's brain today on this topic of being legendary, right? Do we have a sales team that goes out to market thinking about, you know, thinking about how, um, how much they have to offer the market or are they going to market on their heels in defensive posture, uh, maybe with a sense of urgency, maybe with a sense of scarcity, trying to meet their objectives uh, oftentimes that pressure that we put on ourselves can be degrading and degrade our uh, ability to perform, and that can get us into all kinds of trouble. And Chris is going to give us some insight into what it means to be legendary, and and more importantly, what it means to face the market uh, with the ability to inspire the folks we talk to and achieve a level of memorability that um, that makes us sticky and compels our clients to engage us. How did I do, Chris, on the intro? Beautiful. Love it, man. Other than just talking about my outrageous good looks. <laughs> totally. Uh, you know, so you, go you, deep, baby. Go deep. Well, you bring such a, a, a appreciation for the disciplined focus of the key effective skills that are going to, you know, it's, it's, it's a probability 
game, not a perfection game. Right. And, and I love that. And so for people that are learning from you about how to advance in sales, you know, that's like 90% of the battle, right? So many people aren't doing that. It's amazing to me, all the people that don't do follow up um, and, and circle back around and, and all those necessary things. But, but there is another dimension right beyond that, that I don't hear talked about a lot, that I know from anecdotal experience that's repeated enough times that it is a difference maker for me. And so if you put me against, so to speak, somebody following up at the same you know, level, why am I going to tend to win that business mm-hmm. and they aren't? Because of one reason, they can't forget me. They don't forget about the exchanges they had with me. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And what I've found is so influential in my process and approach is to, to really accentuate that, lean into that, not take it for granted. And we could talk about it as a framework today that's going to help everyone listening know exactly how to do that for themselves. They're going to walk away with some key practical pieces that they can learn to be, wait for it, legendary. <laughs> We, we um, all want to be legendary, but we're all competitive. We are, we all have great aspirations. Most of us love what we do. We love the companies we work with. We love our clients. Most of us have within us the potential to be legendary. Uh, yet I think it's human nature to be bogged down by, you know, the rational side of the biz, uh, bogged down by our number, bogged down by our last loss bogged down by the last disappointment. Uh, it seems like we're always, we're always struggling <laughs> in that middle ground. Uh, I would think that to be legendary, I'd have to find a way to rise above that, quick, if not always, get there quickly when I find myself slipping. Absolutely. Well, and you need to, you either need a lot of pressure to become legendary or you need to learn how to get really quiet. So, so, you know, when we can walk through some application of this, but at the baseline level, you know, you want to understand what it means to move from your inner critic holding you back to becoming iconic. So, so the inner critic in you, that voice that, that gets you to either show up too big and you're gross and you're proving and you're accosting and you're trying to control and none of what I'm going to say today and none of what I'm saying right now, do I want to lift that up as an example? Because there are people that would take what I'm going to say and misapply it and misuse it for that. But oftentimes, not only are there a lot of hyper-aggressive overprovers, there's hiders. There's people who are, there, there are people who are diminishing. They're becoming a non-player character. I don't know if you uh, are familiar with the video game technology here, but like it's, it's popular now in game theory to talk about life and leadership and sales as game theory. And in video games, you're the single player. It's your game. It's your reality. It's your world. Everyone else is an NPC, a non-player character. So that's been used to describe in a denigrating way how many people aren't becoming the iconic version of who they can become. They're not owning their truth. They're not living their truth. They're not living the most impactful life that they can. They're not getting to the edge of their abilities. And so because of that, they're this non-player character. They're just uh, you know, so influenced by group conformity. So what we want to talk about is a progression you walk through to truly become your legendary best self. And the baseline of it, to transform the inner critic into becoming iconic, 
and this is going to sound so counterintuitive, you actually have to fly your freak flag. You have to build around the worst part of who you are, as Steve Martin says. So let me pull in another source here for some credibility <laughs> because this sounds so counterintuitive. Steve Martin in his masterclass on comedy that you can go purchase and, and learn from, he talks about how important it is to know about those parts of you that are your worst parts and how to build who you are as a character around that. Now, that's not saying take the worst part of your values, the worst part of your uh, scarcity thinking, the worst right. part of your insecurities and blow that out. It means take the parts of you, and he did this very strategically, and he sold his comedic career so effectively once he made this switch. He stopped trying to play to the audience out of his ego, this would be my words, and started figuring out how the audience wanted him to show up and surrendered his ego and then was able to blow his career out. So if you think about it this way, you know, uh, if you went to uh, speak somewhere and you know this is a speaker and I'm going to make it practical for people that aren't speakers also, you could go give a 30-minute talk somewhere when you're starting out in your speaking career and, and there's a place that you think is going to be really funny and you say something and there's nothing. <laughs> you felt that pain before, right? Those crickets. Ugh. You start to get a little sweaty. You start forcing your talk some. Right. Same thing happens in sales. But in those moments as a speaker, when you say something off the cuff, like, like for me, there's a number of ways this could happen. It could be when I talk about like, you know, when my kids were younger and I need to go take them somewhere. I was like, I don't want to take them anywhere. Like, what do they do for me? What do they do for me? Right. And people start laughing at that. A smart speaker in that moment understands you don't tell the audience where you're funny. They tell you where you're funny. Right. And then you start accentuating and building into that moment more. Well, you're getting a hint about where your worst part, so to speak, is funny, where you can build around the uniqueness of you, where you can fly your freak flag. Another way of talking about this today is device signal, right? I've done that a lot this summer. As I've talked about my summer with people and right. told stories and been funny, what have I talked about is in my, in my, is in my backyard? Yeah. You, you, uh, the first thing I think of is your, uh, your, uh, pool, right? <laughs> and, and I even labeled it. I called right. it my redneck pool. Right. Right. I would watch people as I start talking about my redneck pool, start to laugh, start to have fun. They're picturing something, you know, am I doing that to, to perform for them? Is that inauthentic? No, life is hard. Let's have a good time. Right. I can take this one little part of me and blow it up really big. And the reason we don't do that, our ego, our inner critic, we're either trying so hard to control and accost a sales process and prove something right. and we're gross or, or for so many, we're hiding, we're diminishing. We're not finding these little or things that we can do. Yeah. You got it. You got it. And so what's exciting to me is when I think about like, well, if I look at where I am right now and I understand that the audience tells me where I'm funny and I can start paying attention to that, how would a salesperson do that? Well, when you reconnect with people, pay attention to what they ask you about. Pay attention to what stands out about you to them. Yes, we want to study them. I mean, what is the, one of the most powerful ideas in sales is it's not about me trying to impress them, but, but impact them. And I'm going to impact them if I study right. them. Right. Right, right. I'm not trying to direct them. I'm just trying to study them, but also study how, you know, when do they smile the most? When do they laugh the most? When, what, what are they most intrigued by about your life? And, 
it's little cues and signals that you start to gather, you start to collect these, they start to get a sense of that. Um, So I could geek out on this forever, but the key is that's the baseline. Turn your inner critic into you becoming iconic first, like a pyramid. We're going to stack layers on this. You've got to fly the freak flag. You've got to know the unique parts of you that people want to see, and then you accentuate those. Now, I can keep going. Any thoughts or questions on that? Well, and to to put it into terms that um, we oftentimes use in the trade, you know, when you talk about when, when you talk about this idea of showing up the way the client wants you to show up, that sounds very customer centric, mm. uh, which is great. And uh, you know, I don't, I still don't know why organizations treat being customer centric as a tagline versus a real way to behave. But maybe today's conversation can give us some insight into that. Maybe one answer is that it requires some vulnerability. So I'm looking forward to. Um, exploring this with you more, but I feel like flying your freak flag, you know, you have to be willing to allow that part of you to show, um, which is, which is really interesting. And I think the other thing that this brings up for me is a, a term that was taught to me or a phrase that was taught to me. It's that new golden rule, do unto others as they would have you do unto them. Um, and so if you, the only way I, I feel like you can show up and be customer centric or show up and be thoughtful about how you're impacting someone is if you have this mindset that says it's not about the transaction. It's not about my products. It's not about my price. It's not about my pipeline. It's about impacting this person. It's about uh, treating them the way they want to be treated. And that is so counterintuitive to what most salespeople are taught. Most salespeople are taught, look, it's about you. It's about your number. It's about how you go to market. It's about how tough you are, how thick your skin is. It's about how you go and take. It's about how you go to battle. It's about how you go to war. You know, it's about how you execute your plays. You know, we're, we're trained to be, to operate differently. And, and I guess as I'm saying this, I'm thinking this may be actually one of one of the key reasons why elite performers are really only, they really only occupy the top five or 6% of all salespeople. It may be that most of us, the other 95 or 94% just never see through the bullshit. They never, they get consumed by it and never elevate above uh, the, the bullshit, the, the ego, the, the stuff that we're taught with those, you know, with those crazy videos on YouTube and everything else that that's just bombards us every day. Yeah. Well, and, and, and it's because we don't know how to relate to pressure. It's like, um, I mean, we could literally spend an hour just on this baseline idea of, right. of what it means because what most people are trying to do in sales and, and online in their business or their brand, they either try to pacify or they try to be polarizing. They try to pacify everyone and they try to reach everybody or they try to be intentionally incendiary in a way that's gross and off-putting. And, and when, when the ego, when the inner critic is not directing your actions anymore and you become free of that, the way that you show up, you just, you're just directing a vision. You're manifesting a vision. You're connecting with people. Like, let's have fun. Let's get to know people. Let's connect. Let's have a good time. Sales is going to be the overflow of two humans or more if the process engages that interacting in a way that we are having a true 
human-to-human connection. Well, what does a human-to-human connection look like? For me, the baseline of this, for me to be uniquely me, to fly my freak flag, to, to have a wonderful, healthy relationship with pressure, it means I'm going to share some wins with you in a sales process. I'm going to share some things that are going well so you can share with me uh, mm-hmm. and be celebrative, celebratory with me. I'm also going to share some losses. I'm going to share some vulnerabilities. Right, right. Authentically, you know, I'm going to share those, but but also strategically in the sense that I'm going to inspire you with my win and I'm going to relax you with my struggle. I'm going to be relatable that way. If we build this transaction based on a persona that I'm showing you that is completely fake and it's all about, you know, what I'm proving, well, that breaks down. And so when I look at this process of what it means to really show up this way, you know, this is where the fun happens. Uh, it makes me think of our mutual friend, Brett. He was uh, relaying this story of Sean White when he was in the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And he had to qualify. I think it was 2018. And he had a killer uh, or his first run was terrible. His legs went out. His second run messed up a jump. I mean, he was the favorite and he wasn't even going to get in the Olympics. And in his third run, he was talking to his coach, getting ready. They signaled him to to hit the pipe, you know, to hit, start the jumps. And, and, you know, he should have had more time. And his coach was like, just go, go, go. What happened was he had put so much pressure on himself getting into this because he was already so successful. In those first two runs, he started crumbling. But in that third run, and I can't remember if he heard this or if his coach reminded him of it, but it was like, be who you are. Like, be who you are. You've already put so much time into the technique. You've already put so much effort into the skill of this. Right. Remember who you are in the middle of it. And then what took over for him was that instinct. He's honed his intuition. Didn't even know he was going to do it his last jump. Killed it. Scored 100 for the second time ever. Um, and, and that's what's really fun. I mean, it's the most fun way to live. It's, it's a state of flow. And why would we want to do anything else other than be in that state? Right you on. know, if we can be. So at the right. baseline, we're turning the inner critic into the iconic as we authentically build around the worst part of who we are and the fun part of who we are. You know, the worst part can just be a clue and a signal. All of that makes up that yeah. persona. And we're not a we're not a non-player character. Jimmy, go to the second one or any thoughts on that? No, I think it's I, I would I do want you to go to the second one. I think the other the other connection here that listeners can make and that I'm making right now is, you know, so often folks talk about the fact that their secret to success is their ability to build relationships. Well, what better way to build a relationship than showing up as your true authentic self and to relieve yourself of the pressure and the stress of trying to hide the worst of you? You know, showing up in a conversation, even a conversation like this, if I was, if I was uh, trying to hide the worst of myself right now, my head wouldn't be in the game. My heart wouldn't be in the game. And this might be a real flat, maybe it is flat, but this might be even be a more flat interview and, and uh, less valuable interview or less valuable conversation. So I can, I, can really ex- I can really personally identify with the fact that in my early days as a sales rep, I was that guy that would walk into a session already twisted over making sure I didn't show the worst of me and only and only showed the best of me, and I know in those situations, not only, not only did I underperform, despite the numbers being very positive, 
but I under I underperformed my potential, but I also didn't enjoy it as much as I could have. Beautiful. I mean, the best part of me is is this little bit of a like almost a romantic mystic who can also be very intentional and strategic and pattern recognition and live it out and all that combines to this like obsessive focus that I have. But because of that, there's some things that are unattended to in my life. And, and in some ways I'm integrated and healthy in other ways I'm unbalanced and, and you know, why not? Why not? Because when we're, when we're living this manufactured persona, you know, there's no human, human connection. Now that's going to take us to the second thing. And this is honestly, because people skip the first one and go straight to the second one, this is why they can't pull it off correctly. After you learn to, to turn the inner critic to the iconic as you fly your freak flag, you really become free of the ego. And that we could talk for hours on how to become free of the ego. The next piece on top of this is exaggerated movements, exaggerated movements. This is where you make it bigger than life. You know, artists know this, performers know this. We're in Columbus, Ohio. One of the biggest groups and bands to come out of Columbus, Ohio recently is 21 Pilots. And the lead singer of that, he paints his hands and I think his face or his neck black. And, you know, he does that to live into a character called Blurry Face that's a signal of his depression and anxiety. Beyonce has Sasha Fierce that she, you know, says she channels on stage. And, and what you want in, in extreme moments of performance is to lose yourself into that flow state and then those exaggerated movements. Simple example here. We even just joked about it earlier. I could have just said, I put an inflatable pool in my backyard. <laughs> That's boring. Man, it's my redneck pool. Right. Jimmy, I'm, I'm going to hopefully grill some ribeye tonight. Okay. Check this out. I'm going to grill some ribeye tonight. I'm excited about it. Okay. Hey, man, tonight I'm going to fire up the grill. I'm going to get it to 600 degrees, maxed out, hot as I can get it. Now, as a beginner, I know you just flip that meat, you dry it to death. But at the master level, I'm going to lay it down one time and it's going to cook at that temperature for a certain amount of minutes. And I'm going to put some onion powder and garlic powder and pepper on it and salt on it. And I'm going to tell you my secret that I cheat with. After I do six and six, lay it on the plate, I put some Worcestershire sauce on it. Now, some purists right now are like, Chris, what are you doing? Those purists don't know. When I put that steak in front of my wife, she's like, why would we eat anywhere else? This is better than any steak I've ever had. Because she doesn't have that faulty lie that says in her brain, Chris added something. Now, I know I just gave my secret away to you, but dude, I'm so excited. I'm getting excited talking about it right now, you know, right? I mean, and it's just this idea to, to be in that moment and live it more, like more. How many backgrounds have you seen of people's videos in this work from home life and they're trying to sell and it's just complete? Everybody goes for that flat, white, like clean look. Mm. I get it, but that's everybody. That's forgettable. How do you even remember that? So it just, it plays into so many things we do. So what I want to think about is what does it look like for me to be in those moments of authenticity of who I am, but these exaggerated movements. Now people take this too far and it can get gross and hypey, you know, and yes, that's, that's where the whole term backslapping comes from, right? Imagine right. The, the person in sales that's the hardcore backslapper. They're doing the exaggerated movement, what? Out of a gross way of showing up. 
And that's why until you learn to turn the inner critic into the iconic of who you really are, if you skip that, the exaggerated movement, this, that's the pit people fall into it that you've seen it i know yeah well i mean and i can i can translate to at least for a portion of our audience in terms of you know from a sales perspective why does that happen i mean you know at this level this level of being outspoken or grandiose it has to be sincere it has to come from a place an authentic place and and what kills us on the sales side is that we're always thinking about, or many of us are always thinking about the sale, the outcome. Um, we're not thinking about the impact that we want to make, right? The impact of the relationship or the next step instead of thinking ahead of, am I going to win or lose this deal? And so, you know, we, we talk about this all the time that um, you never, you never fool the customer, Right. The customer sees it before we see it, that insincerity, that lack of authenticity, even if it's not overt, they it's smell it. It's something they feel right. It's something. Yeah. They feel. So you cannot take the second step in your hierarchy if you're unwilling to be authentic. And it seems to me also that the more authentic we are, that story about the stake, I have my own story about the stake and I collect my own stories over the over the years. But what, what struck me was the more authentic I am, the more original my story is going to be. My client's never going to hear a story from me that they've heard from someone else because they're my stories. That's another, Beautiful. I think, cool thing about this idea of being legendary, being memorable. Beautiful. I'm so glad you drew that out because, you know, this is the part that for so many they try to copy someone else. Now, right. I will say, until you learn to find your own inner voice, you can copy others some, but you just got to know that that's a part of your process and you're not yet at a good destination. Like, I know my voice. You know, I even know how I wanted all this to feel. Not planning on having to work from home. Right. Uh, and, and so I had to set up an office. Do I want this to feel you know, anesthetized and white and like everybody else. No, I want it to feel cinematic. I want it to feel campfire. I want it to have a little bit of a crush, crushing element to it, you know, and, mm -hmm. and all of that is, you know, is the overflow of me. It's like, if I go in and you know this, if we go in and try to talk to our teenagers and we have an, a specific agenda that we're trying to manufacture something to convince them of, you know, they, they smell BS. <laughs> at light speed, man. And, and that's the thing, you know, you think about, you reach who you are, you reach people with BS, you get the BS, you reach people out of the overflow of who you are, the truth, that's who you get. But just because we're authentic doesn't mean we can't have fun with this. And that's where the exaggerated movements come from. Now, once you start to know that, then you get to wanting to sustain that. You want to creatively, and I know this is a weird way to think about it in sales, but you want to creatively and artistically sustain you being the most iconic version of who you are, authentic, those exaggerated movements. How do you do that? That's the next piece, the third. Get to the edges and fringes. Get to the edges and fringes. Here's what I mean. So uh, Kevin Kelly, editor of Wired Magazine. Have you heard of Wired Magazine? Absolutely. Sure yeah. yeah, yeah. Cool magazine. This guy's like a crazy deep thinker. Uh, and he was, I mean, he's written a book on what technology wants, right? And he wrote a book or he wrote a piece on the nine laws of God, kind of like 
you know, God in nature, what God wants. And that life happens at the edges and fringes. You think the same thing of a company or a team. You know, who are the company? You, you look at the team in a company that's out at the edge, that's, that's innovating, that's doing the stuff. If I'm in an organization and I am not on that team, I am going to find a way to volunteer to get near that team, to be connected to them, to let some of their ethos wear off on me. You know, they're learning things in that team that is equivalent to two years of experience on the team you're on. They're getting that in like a month. And 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 this is, I mean, this could be as weird as being safe, but going to Waffle House at 3 a.m. in the morning just to get exposed to a different frame and a different reference and a different point. Because when you are at the edge and the fringes, there's something that it does for you. Now, it's not only that, but it's also learning at the edge. And I know you and I appreciate this. I mean, I, I'm so impacted by a person like yourself who, where we are in life, statistically, we should stop learning new skills right. and stop learning new ideas. The numbers for after people are 40, they just, but we're still learning new ideas. We're still exposing ourselves ourselves to new ways of thinking. We are getting to those edges. And you got to be careful, right? Because we know what the edge is. It's rough territory out there, but there's a lot of application for this. And so if you want to stay in the place that you can be iconic and do those exaggerated moves, you got to get to where the edges and fringes are happening. What, what thoughts does that bring up for you? Yeah. Well, you I mean, translate it for sales. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is, um, you know, there, again, this idea of the, the elite, the top five or six percent, depending upon the research you look at, and the other 95 percent. Um, the first thing I think about is this idea of fear, right? So moving to the edges may create, may feel like it creates risk, more risk than reward. And so there may be many folks out there thinking to themselves, look, here I am, I'm fine. And that might make them a little bit more complacent. So I guess the, the question is, how do you help folks think about uh, processing that initial fear-based response. Ooh, that sounds like fun, but shit, I don't know if I want to do that. I don't know if I put my career at risk or this deal at risk. Find a way to just feed curiosity. Like, so it doesn't even have to apply to anything you're doing at, at work. But if you don't have a place carved out for creative expression, exploration, learning, what's the weird book? that like people would be like, you read that? Here's what they would say. You read that? You don't strike me as a person who would read a book like that. See, you want, you want people to be able to sum you up. In three seconds, they can say what you're about. And then you also want them, and that's a marketing mistake people make. Then you also want them to go, but there's so much more to him. There's right. so much more to her. You know, she's so so you could you could play it super safe organizationally, or you could risk a little bit and try to get exposure to some of the fridge fringes and edges in the teams. You could play it super safe relationally and organizationally and just right. find a way in your life right. to to watch a documentary about a world that you've never experienced. Whatever it is, you've got to find some way that you're exposed to something that breaks, even in a small way, your view of reality. 
you know, well, is it, it's, it's, it's like, is it, is, is it as simple as maybe being surprising being, you know, I know who you are, but yet there's more that I want to know about you coming with something unexpected, surprising, interesting out of the norm. Um, and to me, that's what salespeople want to do. I mean, we always talk about this idea of differentiating ourselves from the folks that we're competing against from other folks in our field. Uh, Bingo. Is that what you're talking about? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so here's an example. Um, you know, so most of my career is built around like direct selling of an idea, getting people motivated to join me in a vision and contribute to that economically with time, with, with effort, with energy. And even, you know, doing site shift full time these last five years, I, I live by what I hunt, so to speak. It's this direct sales thing that, that this is how we live. This is how we eat. I have found it to be true in, in both of these. You know, when I'm authentic and I'm living out of that authentic core and doing exaggerated moments, movements, I'm effective. Here's an example. I walked into an organizational meeting and the leader kept saying, your hands are untied. He wanted me to go lead the organization with my vision. So I'm the number two. He's the number one. Go lead. Your hands are untied. He kept saying that phrase. Except what would he do behind the scenes? <laughs> I mean, it's like I was young. I didn't know what I know now, which is this is the this is how this is always going to play out. Anybody that would have heard me describing my reality, <laughs> you know, that I get it. You know, I was, again, mid to late 20s and learned this the hard way that it doesn't matter how well you lead until the top actually has a plan to let go and let's go. They're not letting go. Right, right, right. But anyway, so I go into this meeting and my hands are tied up. Like, I'm not kidding you, man. I had my hands physically tied up. You know, he's like, what's that for? It's a meeting, of, you know, he would always say your hands are untied in, in this main executive leadership meeting. What's that for? I was like, well, you said my hands are untied, right? He's like, yeah. You can untie them. And while he was untying them, I took the rope real quick and started tying his wrists. And I said, the problem with leadership is this rope has to go somewhere. And the only way mine are untied is if yours are tied up. Now, I'm not asking for you to untie mine. But if you want them untied, you got to carry this rope. So, I mean, this is such a clear, definitive, like exaggerated movement. But as you stay at the edge and fringe, then you get this exposure. This actually sets up a little bit about where you were headed. And this is the next piece on top of that. You reinvent. You reinvent. So the you, you turn the inner critic to the iconic as you fly the freak flag. You do the exaggerated movements like the 21 pilots. <laughs> You get to the edges and fringes, and the edges and fringes, what? Bring new information, new integrations, new insights, new curiosities, new exposures. Well, then you feel the change coming on. You reinvent. You know, I'm, I'm always the guy who the last few years steps into a meeting dressed a certain way, and I know exactly what I'm going to wear, right? I don't want to think about it. It's got this. If I were to go back to B2B right now, it would, it would be different than that. Right, right. Like if, because I've changed the last four or five months and because I've changed the last four or five months, I'm reinventing how I show up. And I did the most risky, creative talk for sure of my right. speaking career last year or yesterday. I told you a little bit about that right. earlier privately. Dude, it could have 
bombed. Right, right, right. And, and it went amazing. And 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 I have a another project out that's allowing me to to bring some air to some stuff. Uh, you helped with that, like I told you last uh, earlier this winter, you know. And so I'm I'm reinventing. With Steve Martin in his class on comedy, he talked about that, you know, where or he didn't talk about this, excuse me, but uh, in talking about uh, his comedic career, it's so clear to see how he went from comedy to movies, you know, right. how he reinvented. Right. So you don't just reinvent to reinvent. That's desperation, that's insecurity, that's a midlife crisis. That's because you've stuffed questions that you haven't yet integrated, surfaced, paid attention to, and made a whole part of who you are. Right. But if you'll, if you'll pay attention to those questions, if you'll pay attention to what bothers you, vision always starts where you're bothered. Pay attention to what you wish was different in your sales experience, how you show up with the customer or the client. If there are things that you're unhappy with, you can't stuff those. You pay attention to those because those are an invitation to you know you getting to version 12.0 of who you are. Right on. You're not losing yourself. You're expanding. You're you know, I, I can't imagine going to my 28 year old self and what he would think of me now, you know, he would think a lot of bad things. Well, it's all about growth. It's all about development. Um, so I, here's what I want to do, man. I want to, I want to, I want to summarize this, wrap it up because I want to, what I'm thinking about now is where we are at the end of the year. I'm I got one more on top of this. If you do sum it up. I, well, I do. Well, I want you to give me the one more. And then I want to, what I want, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to, as you give me the one more, help the audience think about this, because listening to this conversation, if I was a, back in the day when I was a rep, if I had a kickoff session, right, to begin my year, to begin my quarter with this kind of conversation, I could have, I could have taken all the sales skills that I had and wrapped them up and packaged them in these concepts that would allow me to break out of my shell and show up in that legendary, memorable way. Um, this sounds like a perfect topic for a kickoff session to begin the selling year, to begin the next quarter. Wrap up your conversation with that, with that in mind. Totally. Love to. So the last piece is, and it's going to be like we planned this. And for those that are watching this and listening to this, we didn't. This, okay. you, you didn't know this. Last piece. Step to the background. Your progress and transformation hasn't really finished its work until at some point in your career, you're willing to step to the background and let the other high performers shine. So for some of you that are sales managers, for some of you VP of sales, wherever you find yourself, it's not any more about are you growing and learning at the top of your game, but are they growing and learning at the top of their game? And, and their journey is not going to look like yours. Guess what? Their exaggerated movements are probably going to make you feel a little weird because it's new. It's new territory. It's new journey. I don't mean weird in the sense that it's awkward or gross. I mean how things grow and develop. Yeah. yeah, it's just different. It's just different. So, yeah, if I were somebody leading an organization watching this, you know, it's like if you're looking for a way to take what you already know is in place with with sales skills and techniques or they need a brush up or a, de a deepening with you, you also mix in, you know, a high level teaching on this, a workshop on this, then what you've got is the ability to show up. As you teach, sales isn't a game of 
perfection, but probability consistently. But here's the key in a memorable, impactful way so that, you know, you learn this in October or November and you close out the year beautifully or you come running out of the gate in 2021. Thanks for listening. If you've learned something or were inspired to try something new, please rate the podcast and share this episode with someone you know. If you'd like to learn more, visit and connect with me, James, at floristgroup.com, F-L-O-R-I-S-S group.com. And if you want to connect with me, Chris, check out SightShift, S-I-G-H-T, shift.com. Peace. Peace.